Welcome to season three. How about that number? I'm thrilled to welcome first time and returning listeners to an absolute great guest list this year. Take a listen to the season three preview if you want to get a quick intro to the pod and our guest list for the season, at least of those that I've recorded. I have a few others in a line uh, for later in this year as we march uh, between the Memorial Day and Labor Day weekends. Please hit that favorite or subscribe button on your favorite podcast provider, and please leave a review. On today's podcast, Teresa Martinez joins to talk about the Continental Divide Trail and how towns across the 3,000-mile trail are building communities around stewardship and education. For much of her 30-year professional career, Teresa has worked throughout our entire national trail system. From 1987 to 07, she worked for the Appalachian Trail Conservancy, and from 2007 to 2012, she worked for the Continental Divide Trail Alliance. And since 2012, she's been the executive director and co-founder of the Continental Divide Trail Coalition. She serves on the board of the Partnership for the National Trail System and currently serves as the chair of the Federal Advisory Committee to aid the USFS in the development of the Pacific Northwest National Scenic Trail. When not working on behalf of one of our national trails, Teresa may be found exploring trails with her dog by bike, horse, and foot. On today's show, I found Teresa's energy contagious and think you'll enjoy her story from building trail as a college student to helping hikers and communities embrace the CDT from the states of New Mexico through Colorado, Wyoming, and Idaho, and on to Montana. All right, let's chat with Teresa. Hi, Teresa. Hi, good evening. How's it going? It's, I'm doing well. And, and yourself? Doing pretty good, surviving COVID. And um, uh, yeah, in, looking forward to uh, the winter. And calming oh, down. absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and I know we we started chatting right at the end of season two, and I'd let you know I'm gonna actually go hike the collegiate loop, which is which is part CDT. And I was like, maybe I should go hike some of that trail before I talk to the executive director of the Continental Trail Divide Coalition. So happy to have you on. Well, it's great to be here. I'd love to hear about your trip. <laughs> That's one oh, of my favorite def- sections of the CDT. Not my favorite section, but one of my favorite sections. One of. <laughs> yeah. And, and now you've just forced me to add a question to my question list of like your favorite CDT section. So I'll go ahead and, and put a pen, a, a pin in that. Um, but yeah, I plan on doing a podcast on, on my, let's see, I spent eight to nine days. So I was averaging just short of 20 miles on, on the collegiate loop, but a beautiful, beautiful trail. So, so happy to have done it. Yeah. What's really cool about that section is, um, that's a newer section that's been built in the last 10 years. And much of that stuff was built by youth Corps. And then what's the, the stuff that you hiked between Cottonwood pass or, um, and, uh, Emma Burr Ridge was a lot of that was built by convicts actually at the Buena Vista, um, convict, prison mm. there that's in Vista. they have a trail crew and they were stationed they had been up there for five i don't know six seven years building a lot of that trail and that's why it's so incredibly beautiful and bomber um you know they were just up there all summer um out of the prison and you know spike camped up there but 
some of that trail work is some of the most beautiful trail work I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot, but that was, that's some of the quintessential, most beautiful trail work I've ever seen. But that's some yeah. great context. Love that. Love the context. And that's a good segue actually, because I usually start off by asking my guests their origin story and how they came to fall in love with the outdoors, hiking and, and kind of your current role. But you started kind of on the trail doing trail building. Am I right? I did. Um, yeah, I started out. So my, I, I grew up in Virginia and my, I went to Virginia Tech, go Hokies. Um, I have to always do that. Anybody who's a Hokie That's knows right. you have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and my, my first weekend at Virginia Tech, I, we, my one dorm room uh, friend and I had seen these posters for this or this advertisement to go out and do trail maintenance on the Appalachian Trail, which I had never heard of before. Um, but that it meant we would go spend the whole day out hiking and, you know, an hour and a half away from, from Blacksburg and campus. And I was like, let's go do that. So we did. And, and, um, that was when I, you know, I'd always loved being outdoors. I loved bird watching and stuff like that. But, um, that weekend, you know, we're, we're hiking and we're lopping and snipping and doing all these things. It was like a seven or eight mile, mile hike. And, um, and I remember asking, so what's this white blaze thing again? And, and the trail supervisor explained it again to me, like, yes, if you go south, you'll end up in Georgia. If you go north, you'll end up in Maine. And literally, my mind was just blown that, <laughs> that this thing existed. I mean, this was in the, like the late 80s, too. So it just blew my mind that something like that existed and that you could hike it and that it was free. And then I was out there with a tool maintaining it. And then it was my responsibility as a volunteer to be a part of that. And that just started this now almost 30 plus year love affair <laughs> with long trails. And, um, you know, that weekend was the first of many. I became president of the Adam Club of Virginia Tech, which was the trail maintaining organization and spent almost every weekend maintaining the AT um, in Southwest Virginia. And then my summers I spent on the Conorock crew, um, with, which is ATC's premier uh, crew and, um, spent my summers building trail all across the Southeast. And back in those days, we could do things like set dynamite and blow up rocks. They don't let volunteers do that anymore, but <laughs> they did. And um, you might and have was, a few more recruits. If, if so. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, and it was just, it was the people I met, you know, you'd be, you know, out in the back country with, with high school dropouts and corporate lawyers. And it was just this really cool community of people. And I think it was, the work was rewarding that you could build this, you were building something that was going to last generations, but then the relationships that you met while doing it, and then you were in nature and it was just this, a being of service. And I just fell in love with that and ended up, that's what started my career with ATC after college. I ended up getting hired by ATC to be the, or to run those programs and then stayed with ATC and off and on for 20 years. And um, eventually made my way out west, but it's always been this this belief in um, you know one just being outdoors, which is just I think whether you're in your backyard, um, you know especially in these days, or you know like here I have an arroyo down the, the street from me I walk every morning in, or you mm -hmm. know the, the deep back country. There's something really important about being in nature that I've always loved. But then when you're of service and you're doing this thing. I think the thing about all of these long trails that has gotten me has always inspired me is that it's, it's this true form of civic participation and democracy that, you know, you're all equal out in the woods. 
and you have this opportunity to build something and create something for the greater good that you may or may never ever walk on or participate on, but you're creating something that will last, uh, uh, you know, generations if you're, if you're doing it right. And that I think has always been my fundamental core. And, and then uh, to be able to work for these organizations and, and figure out how to create these opportunities for, for people to both be of service and do stewardship, as well as just experience these trails, whether for an a minute or a lifetime um, has always been something that, you know, I feel like I was given an incredible gift that I want to continue to give back. And, and these days with the CDT, I work, when I moved out to the, left the ATC to come work on the CDT, it was sort of like uh, going from a trail that was pretty much completed. You know, we, we, there was still some work to do, but most of the big heavy lift was done and moving to a trail at that time, the CDT, we didn't even have maps. <laughs> there are no maps wow. existed for the CDT when I moved out here in 2007, um, which now we have online maps that are for free. You know, um, we didn't have a planning guide or anything like that. Um, and I think it was the opportunity to create, take all the lessons I had learned from the AT and, and apply them out here. And then just being out West and um, uh, just these landscapes, which are just so fundamentally um, tied to our history as a country, but also my own personal family history and connection to the landscape. But uh, just being in a place that you just, it's just, um, there's no other place like the divide. I don't know if it just calls you to it or what what it is, but um, it's still a love of landscape. It's a love of land. It's feeling connected, deeply connected, spiritually connected to the landscape. And then providing a voice, not the voice, but a voice for it in a way that is uh, both a challenge and an opportunity. And then these days, being able to realize I'm, I'm um, a lot of my work now is focused on understanding the privilege I've had, but also the opportunity I have to really um, create more opportunities for communities of color like myself, for people like myself, and um, but also really help reimagine what long trails can be and what they can provide for all of us, especially as we've learned through COVID that the importance of these places is just so, it's so critical to our, our mental health, our physical health and how we all connect. And it's still always about people. And, and then just to be in some of the coolest places on the planet. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Wow. Um, That's it's per- yeah. perfectly perfectly said, and and all from a dorm room poster, by the way, which I love. Who knew? And and, and and I wanna I wanna pick up on I love the thread of civic responsibilities, stewardship of service, and I I wanna I wanna hop to volunteers because that's how you started as a as a volunteer, if I gathered that right. Yeah. And I'm kind of curious what the state of volunteering in terms of like trail building is. I, I would imagine back in the day for some reason that it was robust. It was a, it was a good opportunity for somebody coming out of high school or a beginning job at a college to, to do that work and kind of use it as their two years of service, if you will. I mean, how, how, how is the state of volunteering for our trails and kind of tell me a little bit about how you intersect with volunteers currently as well. Yeah. So, you know, well, I'll start with just in general, you know, I think volunteers are just as robust today as they were um, 20 years ago when I started. Good I think it's different. I, I think, you know, our country was founded on these democratic principles of volunteerism. And so I think fundamentally we all contribute and people, that's just the foundations 
of our society. And so in some ways, I think of service, being of service is just, it's just part of who we are. It's our DNA. But I think from a volunteer perspective, um, you know, that we've gotten, we learn, we know a lot more about how to build trails. So we're much more efficient and effective. We have better tools. There's so much technology that you can go into it. Um, I think um, the fundamental thing about volunteers is you're just digging in dirt and something about digging in dirt just keeps people real. And so I think from, from that thing, while it may be of service, the, the opportunity to build something from scratch that attracts people, I think the continue the, the, the ongoing um, thing that keeps people coming back is just one year in dirt and you're just in these amazing places and you just get to meet people that are, you would never possibly ever intersect with in your normal life because it's just your, you know, it's, it takes a little bit, you know, somebody who's a little different to say, I'm going to go spend five days in the backcountry digging dirt and um, not showering and eating, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, it's not, everybody doesn't do that, but, um, yeah. but I think in general, I think volunteerism is still strong. And I think the challenge these days is finding ways to make it a little bit more diverse and increase opportunities for uh, communities that haven't typically been involved to get involved and feel welcomed, um, which isn't everything from, you know, instead of only, you know, doing it, doing projects during the week, doing them on the weekends, inviting families, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think in general, people still want to give and still participate. And I think when, if you've ever done trail work, and especially any of your listeners, the first time you build a, a rock staircase or something to that effect, um, the first time you build something like that, um, you immediately get the bug. I think when you build something and create something and you know it's going to last generations, I think there's just something really powerful in that gift and um, mm-hmm. it still connects us all. And I, and I think people, we have found at CDTC, you know, while we, have, we utilize and partner with a lot of different organizations um, where we're finding a lot of new volunteers is in that trail maintainer role. And so we do a lot of trail adoption, adoption training and engaging people in those day-to-day maintenance activities. Cause we don't have trail clubs like the ATC or chapters like PCTA. We have gateway communities and a lot of rural American Western communities that are very small. So um, getting adopters is a big deal, but we find the same um, commitment level when people get really fired up and connected to the, this trail of the, the CDT Um, you know, they're out there every weekend, every month, and they're just, you know, partly it's hiking and partly it's, um, or doing whatever activity they want to do on it. And, um, the other part is knowing they're, they're of service. And, uh, yeah, I think that will always be the fundamental core, but I think it's fundamental to us as a society, which is just cool to be in. It's, it's great to hear. And I, I did want to, I know you just said it's the trail maintenance is, is almost as important now, Mm -hmm. but the, the, the trail building, having never done it and run into some of those crews, <laughs> it's super interesting, right? And I, I'm just curious, like, give give the listeners a taste, you know, a, a two-minute job description of what trail builders are doing. Like, how many trail miles are they actually working on? How many hours they spend in? Kind of what what is a day in the life, if you will? Well, I think in most cases, you know, it usually involves some warm-up because you're going to hike. Usually most people will have to hike within a half mile to a mile to a job site. So you're going to do some hiking. And then you're either going to have a Pulaski or Pigmatic or some sort of digging tool. 
Um, and depending on where you are, because every you know environment's different, and then you're gonna literally dig, <laughs> like yeah, you're on a chain right? gang, <laughs> um, which is really fun. Um, or you might be doing rock work or clearing drainage, but typically you're gonna be digging in the dirt and creating what they call a bench um, out of literally the side of a mountain. And so um, you know it usually involves a lot of moving of dirt and then some cleaning and some perfecting. And you know the, uh, one of my friends many years ago is like, we're not we're not trail builders, we're trail, uh, we're trail artists, you know, and it's like this idea that there becomes this art and science. So there's definitely a science to how you use tools and to, you know, how you dig a bench, but then there's the finesse part of making it look like it's always been there and that a deer just walked through the woods and created this path, right? So you're not, the goal is to always make um, what you're building uh seem like it's been there for generations. And so, yeah, you do, do a lot of uh, digging, your hands are gonna hurt, your back <laughs> is gonna hurt, your hamstrings are gonna hurt because you're always leaning over. You're gonna you know, inve- inevitably find a root that you're gonna have to dig out, a rock you're gonna have to dig out. Um, you'll probably smash a finger or two here and there, um, bump a knee here and there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you can build like a crew of eight working six to eight hours with breaks in the whole bit. Well, can usually build, but depending on the terrain between 15, hundred, you know, hundred feet of trail a day. So it's not fast, but it's so immediate. Like the minute you start, you know, you get to that point where you've started digging and then you create this, this trail, you can turn around and be like, Oh my God, there's a trail. And 20 minutes ago, there wasn't, or an hour ago, there wasn't. And so I think the gratification is that you get, it's pretty immediate. Um, and so the work is worth it. But I tell this to people all the time, the youngest and fittest trail worker, where they come in, like especially young people, when they come out, they think they're just going to rock it out and they go just all at it. And they're usually like huffing and puffing within the first hour. And the, the older person who comes out and just paces himself will go all day long. <laughs> There's no in trail work. <laughs> so, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Um, it's definitely a lot of dirt. Um, and uh, you move a lot of dirt, but it's it's really gratifying. No, and I just want I wanted to hear it from the source, so that when all of us are walking walking a trail, we we know what work has been put into it. Because I I know I'm thankful for not only the long trails but our local trails as well. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you know coming out west, and you 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 ended up co-founding the Continental Divide Trail Coalition, or what you've called the CDTC. And I'd love for you to give the listeners kind of the pitch of, of what the mission is, the work you do, uh, you know, from a stewardship perspective or work within the community, obviously educational outreach and, and, and all of the above and any other things as well. Sure. Well, the Continental Divide Trail Coalition was formed in 2012, and we are the national nonprofit working in partnership with the Forest Service, the Park Service, and the the Bureau of Land Land Management, as well as like state agencies all up and down the trail um, to help complete, promote, and protect the CDT, which is a congressionally designated trail that runs 3,100 miles from the Mexican to Canadian borders across New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, uh, Montana, and Idaho. And, um, you know, we've always prided ourselves in in sort of, we're only now going to be nine years old. And so CDTC, which, you know, we have a long history, but there are some of us with the CDT, but the CDTC, um, you know, was kind of built after the closure of the Continental Divide Trail Alliance, which we learned a lot from that experience. Many of us that were a part of that 
that closure um, or were affected by the closure. And when we built CDTC, we did it with this idea that, you know, trails need grassroots communities to really keep them alive. And we wanted to create a true community that was um, made up of people who loved the trail first, um, believed in wanting to keep it moving forward, and ultimately thinking of it differently than maybe how traditionally people had looked at the CDT. That, and so for us, you know, we define the trail not so much as an 18 to 24 inch tread, but as a landscape that connects people and uh, that connects across communities and cultures. And so it allows us a lot more room to talk about things like the watershed. You know, the Continental Divide Trail is the major watershed of the North American continent. It's kind of a big deal. Um, and then it also has an incredible history tied to, you know, obviously the indigenous communities and their long and continued um, existence and connection to these landscapes. It's an incredible um, capsule of history from Lewis and Clark to um, the immigrant trails coming, you know, the westward expansion. You know, there are places on the CDT in Montana where you can literally step in the footsteps of Lewis and Clark, especially like at Lemai Pass, you can literally go where they stepped, you know, where they got to the Continental Divide and expected to see the Pacific Ocean and instead of saw the Selkirk Bitterroots. You know, you can stand in their footsteps. Like where else can you do that? <laughs> um, and so our work is really around how we tell and share those stories, but also help form a real relationship to the landscape that's about the history, it's about the culture, it's about these, these important landscape features and, and, and watersheds and animal corridors and the fact that, you know, it's, you know, we can really see the effects of climate change um, in these landscapes and fires and all those kinds of things. Um, it's also a really cool capsule of telling the story of the American West that both the past um, and the present and potentially the future and really celebrating um, and understanding the complexities of all of that history. But yeah, our work is, is really engaging people who want to um, really, who love the trail and, and want to help us um, create an incredibly uh, deep uh, grassroots community um, that we all bring to bring our strengths forward versus trying to, you know, duplicate efforts. We, we sort of always look at how we can leverage each other's skills and, and partnerships and all the things that we can bring to the table. So, you know, our work, we, we have folks, our main office is based in Golden, Colorado at the American Mountaineering Center, but we have folks located all up and down the trail that work for CDTC. So folks are up in Helena. I'm actually in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We have someone based down in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and uh, folks sprinkled all about in between. And so it allows us to also be in the communities that we want to serve and to connect to those communities as, as equal residents and, and people who, you know, live and work in the same places that the trail traverses versus, you know, trying to manage a trail from Golden, Colorado that's 3,100 miles long is almost sure. impossible. <laughs> so um, it's, and it's, it's great because each part of the trail is a little bit different, um, but it allows us to really understand and represent the communities, like I said, we want to serve. So Love it. yeah, so yeah, our work is all across the board. And if folks are, well, I'm sure we'll get to it, but you know, there's so many opportunities for people to get involved. So no, I'd say let's hop into it because that that I the community part I want to come back to. So we'll come back sure. to that next. But 
that that was my second part of yes you do some educational outreach i'm sure in a non-covid mm-hmm. pandemic like yeah. you would do some you would do some events um especially at those communities but yeah how how do people get involved yeah you know there's so many different avenues you know the again we're really based in this grassroots based um vision and so you know everything from whether they're uh, local community members or folks from across the world who want to come volunteer. You know, we have, we actually do run volunteer projects. Um, we run about 10 to 15 when there's not a worldwide pandemic, but we leverage our, our skills with other partner organizations as well. And, you know, people can participate the, with our volunteer projects throughout the summer. We also, um, and those are free. And then um, we provide all the tools and training. And when there's not COVID, we usually have um, crew chefs who do all the food and we provide all the meals. Um, And people just need to show up with their own personal gear and they can work for free. (laughs) And we feed them um, in these really amazing places. Um, And then you can also take an adopter trail trail training and become an adopter adopter, which you can do on your own. And um, that includes, you know, the training is a weekend long. And then um, if you have a section that is, you know, we, we have actually a trail adopter section on our website, you can see what sections are available across the trail. And you can then, um, you know, kind of operate on your own time to, to kind of maintain segments of the CDT. Um, we're always willing to, to work with somebody who wants to hike the trail and gather information and data for us. In fact, I think a couple of years ago, we had someone gathering um, all the times, uh, his name is Charlie with Sheriff Woody, and um, he threw hike the CDT, but then captured, I think, over 600 different species of, of um, flora and fauna as he hiked along and documented them and along the way. So, I mean, we'll work with anybody who's got a great idea. Um, we have artists in residence. Um, we have community ambassadors in a lot of our gateway communities who invite their friends, families, and neighbors out to hike with them on the CDT and share the trail from that local perspective. And then we're always looking for folks to do events and presentations in their own communities um, wherever they live, and we can help support those kinds of things to just, again, tell, talk about the CDT and, and this, incor- this really Im- incredibly important landscape. I love it. And and the thing, the thing, the word that I continue to hear the most, and I think the, the really cool thing about the coalition is, as you mentioned, the trail is over 3,000 miles long. You can't have a one central place. Mm-hmm. So to have these dispersed communities, and you call them gateway communities, in which I counted, I think, 18 on your website. And I'm assuming that's kind of where a lot of these events are housed and, and where there's a lot of opportunities. My My question about them is, have have you done research on kind of the economic impact of the trail, the CDT being being either going through or or very close to some of these towns? You know, we're we're actually doing that right now. <laughs> perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing. We're trying to collect that data. Uh, we're we're piloting a, a survey like that in Colorado, more more scientific one. But we have actually looked at that with our gateway communities, looking at our businesses and asking them, have they noticed a difference? You know. Um, in 2013, um, there was only like 25 through hikers that, uh, and of course they're, they're only 1% of the hiking population, but you know, the, they're sure. probably the most sexiest part of that entire population, right? Um, when was a through hiker ever called sexy, but I'm, I'm, I'm calling it, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, you know, they are the people who come in, they're very obviously easy to spot. Um, but there are only 25 of them, you know, we were expecting this year close to 500 of them. 
starting in the boot heel and heading north in the, the spring um, prior to the pandemic. So it's grown a lot. And I think as they've grown, um, a lot of these local communities, which some of which, you know, we're not like the Appalachian Trail or Pacific Crest Trail, the communities along the CDT, you know, the largest community is Silver City, I think, that has uh, 10,000 people. And well, I take that back, maybe Helena, because, and it's got, it's a little bit bigger, it's a state capital. But really, there's not a lot of large communities comparatively to the east or west coast along the CDT. So these communities, you know, are unique. We don't, we don't ever want to see them become something that they're not. But there is an opportunity um, for communities to sort of, benefit from the fact that they have this congressionally designated national scenic trail going through their front or backyards and sometimes right down their main street. And so as the, the popularity of the CDT has grown and more through hikers and section hikers and various other folks have come about. And that's also because we had now have maps and a planning guide and a trail, you know, a, a hiking app and all those things. It's allowed us, it has allowed us to really connect to these communities and, and have conversations around, you know, what, what kind of benefits can we help support your community with by having this national trail in there? So it isn't just this, oh, here come these crazy people walking down our main street. How can you actually benefit from them? And then I think for hikers, it's really cool to create opportunities for them to connect to people who live in these rural mountain west communities. And there's some really unique sharing that happens in there. And there's really deep personal connections. These communities, you know, like I always talk about, there's Atlantic City has like eight people that live in it. And then you've got, you know, Denver might be the other option, the other extreme. Um, but these communities are critical because they are not only the, they, they aren't what represent, not just what represent the American West today, um, but they have this, you know, they're, they're, they're not much different than they were even 40 years ago. And I don't think they'll be much different 40 years from now. And I think it provides folks who, who walk through them or connect to them an opportunity to see a different way of life to really truly understand what's unique about the American West. And we talk about the, you know, the national significance of the Continental Divide Trail that also includes the national significance of these gateway communities. I mean, there's no other place in the world like Silver City, New Mexico. There's just none. So there's no other place in the world like Rollins, Wyoming or Encampment that just these little communities that have so much life and richness to them. And we have this congressionally designated trail that goes through them that they can actually benefit from through just, you know, a lot of times it's people walking through, spending, you know, most hikers will need a beer, a bed, and a bath. <laughs> and if they can provide those, you know, they can benefit from them um, while also not having their community really change that much. So they can benefit exactly. economically. Um, and then in other places, you know, many of these communities are surrounded by public lands or by federally um, managed lands. And so the fact that they can, in fact, benefit from them when they can't do other kinds of activities, I think is a positive. And then, you know, the personal health, the fact that, you know, there is this trail that local communities can then hike on themselves, which has been interesting. You know, when we launched our gateway community program, we started talking with our communities while they could understand the benefit of the economics, you know, what they didn't understand. We, we had a lot of folks tell us, well, this is a trail for other people. It's not really a trail for us. And we were kind of blown away that, you know, someone who lives in Grants, New Mexico, didn't think they were allowed to hike the CDT, that it was just really for people coming from out of state to come hike on. And we we're like, no, 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 no. This, this is your trail. In fact, it's probably right. more your trail um, because you're going to live with it and experience it day by day by day, which helped us really understand a unique way we can interact with those communities. And we created a gateway community ambassador program where we were able to recruit 
oh, you know, up to four or five people from each community to sort of serve as the invitate the people who could invite their their community members, their friends or families or neighbors out with them to learn about the trail and and that's really yeah. special. Um, and then the fact that it is the Continental Divide, the fact that it you know brings people from all over the world to experience, it's pretty cool, and they get to showcase what their life is like in that. So it's been a great program. It's also where we find. You know, it's where really where we define our grassroots community, and we really feel like these communities really define the trail in a very unique way that um, maybe other trails don't acknowledge as much. But for us, it really is our identity and very fundamental to our work and how we yeah. learn from them. So one thing we did learn from the, the businesses, every couple of years, we've done a business survey. So we've talked to the small businesses in those communities. and almost across the board, you know, they, they will share that they've seen between 70 and 90% shifts and in, in increases in um, the benefit of having the trail. So more hikers coming into their stores, spending more money. Um, many of them also say because of the trail that, you know, they really want to see, you know, these, these places protected, which I think is really powerful that these gateway communities also love their landscapes as well. And so, I think that's a really cool thing too. They're strong advocates for the places where they live. No, that's great to hear. And and you want that relationship to be mutually beneficial. You and and you want both to feel that way, right? So you want mm-hmm. you want these communities to want hikers to come through and you want the hikers to treat the place with respect and not just a stopping ground for for a bed bath and a beer as you mentioned. So right. it sounds good that it's trending that way. I know, you know, in my in my hikes, whether they be day hikes or, or longer weekend or, or extended hikes, like I, I'm always um, excited and I'm always interested in how that community, uh, you know, takes in the trail, right? Whether they yeah. are embracers of it or if they're hesitant. And so yeah. it's it's good to have that background and, and that you're fostering some of that, those connections with those those communities. I added on my list favorite CDT sections. There's no good segue here, Teresa. I just, you know, we'd have naturally went into the website or I usually end my my podcast with trails and ales, which we still will do. But you got me curious what your favorite CDT sections are. I, anybody who knows me knows this is true too. I think, so there are so many beautiful places on the CDT. Like you, there, I mean, there, it's just, it's an incredible landscape. But for me, it really is the boot heel of New Mexico. And I swear everyone's like, really? like glacier wind rivers i'm like nope it's the boot heel of new mexico and if anyone has never been there or even heard of the boot heel it's the most south western corner of the cdt or of the state of new mexico so if you're looking at the state of new mexico it's like this little bottom of the boot heel and it was that section of new mexico and actually arizona was part of the gadsden purchase it was one of the last pieces um you know brought on to the 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 united states but the, the region is, it goes to the, the um, Chihuahuan Desert, which, you know, these na- national trails, a part of the, the, the national trail system, these congressionally designated trails were created by Congress to protect the nationally significant natural, cultural, and historic resources along them, as well as to provide, in the case of scenic trails, access to them for recreation. And for me, there's no other place that defines this quintessential continental divide experience than the boot heel because one the chihuahuan desert exists nowhere else on the planet nowhere else it exists nowhere else and so there's not much more nationally significant to me than some place that exists nowhere else on the planet 
So that's pretty powerful. But when you're down there and to get there, it takes like from Lordsburg, New Mexico, you drive along I-10, then you drive down some state highways and then you get on this dirt road and it takes like an hour and a half to go on this dirt road to go 30 miles. <laughs> so then you get to this monument and you're literally on the border of New Mexico and Mexico or the U.S. and Mexico. And it's a broken down six strand barbed wire fence. Like it's not what you think it is or should be or could be. And literally you can you can literally step on the other side and there's Mexico and it's actually agriculture on the other side of the border. But when you turn your back to that and you look forward, you're looking at a wilderness study area, the big hatchets, WSA, and you're in this incredible landscape and it's so quiet that it's deafening. And then, you know, we, all, we have a sudden terminus shuttle that takes people down to the Southern Monument every spring. And, you know, you drop people off and as you're driving away, you just see people's faces just kind of like it hits them, the magnitude of the fact that they're going to have to walk now at least 90 miles to get back to civilization because there's nothing else around. Like there's just nothing. And so when you're out there, it's like there's nothing. It's just that immediate stripping of what it means to be in a remote place one of the furthest stretches in the North American continent from anything. And you immediately know you're, you're nowhere, like nowhere else on the planet and like nowhere else in the United States. And to me, that is what defines the continental divide trail, an immediate stripping of whatever you thought it was going to be. It all, just, all of a sudden becomes what it's going to be. And you have no control over how that's going to hit you. And then you start, you know, you're in this landscape that is Ocotillo, which are these really cool spiny plants. Then you have these, you know, 11,000 foot peaks, which people don't expect also. And then you can see Javelina and potentially the Jaguar and Ocelot and Bighorn um, Desert Mountain Sheep, um, Coos Deer. And then, and then you're just, you're in this really crazy desert that at night, the stars are just amazing. And, you know, it's 360 or 270 degrees at oftentimes of your viewpoint from sunrise to sunset. And it's just, it's just no other place on the planet. And for me, that is the quintessential continental divide chalk experience. I mean, Glacier is amazing. And wind, the wind rivers are just breathtaking, but nothing really has that, that fundamental experience of what it means to be in this landscape you've painted a good picture because that's that wouldn't have been my guess obviously and <laughs> i do my I, I was proud i remembered what the gadsden purchase was but i did not i'd never heard of the boot hill that's a new terminology for me so i'm over here actively reading on the boot hill <laughs> as you're describing it so aptly i would be remiss to not give you a chance to answer the last question of, I think all of my podcasts are, are almost all. Um, and being that I'm a big beer drinker and being that a lot of hikers kind of group those two things together, they do a hike and then they end up at a brewery. We have this section of the show called Trails and Ales and was curious if you had a favorite trail, obviously you live in, in New Mexico and whether it's on the CDT or not does not matter. If you had a favorite trail, then brewery combination that you'd recommend to the listeners? Wow, gosh, that is a heavy, heavy, heavy question. What would that be? Because um, there are so many to, to choose from. I, you know, I'm going to have to say that it's um, so I live near Santa Fe. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, but just north of me, north and west is a segment of the CDT on the Chama River. 
And it's actually one of my other favorite stretches. It's George O'Keefe country. You, you know, you kind of come up from Skull Bridge, which is the, the, that part of the Chama is um, wild and scenic. And you, you kind of, if you're heading trail north on the CDT, you climb up to this ridge, the Mesa de los Viejos, and you go up Joaquin, you go up this thing called Joaquin Valley. Um, you get on this huge mesa and then you just see forever. You walk the mesa for like 20 some miles. Um, but that whole area is just so beautiful. And it's just, it's also equally nationally significant because it doesn't exist anywhere else. But just up the road from there is a, a monastery and they brew beer and they brew and they, I think they also make wine now too, but they have the monk sale. And I say my perfect combination would be doing the hike from the Chama River at Skull Bridge to the top of the Mesa, um, and then hitting Bodie's General Store, which is off of, um, right, you know, like in, in Abiquiu, New Mexico, grabbing a Monk's Ale, uh, one of the, I'm, and I'm, I can tell you this for a fact, the best green chili cheeseburger on the planet, a Monk's <laughs> Ale, and seriously just being content and like, you can, yeah, it's, that's about the most perfect experience I could think of. Yeah. Having having not spent a lot of trail miles in New Mexico, like I'm just grinning over here. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I have I have an itinerary. That's all right. I don't have to do any of the planning. Like I just show up and I've I know what I'm doing. Yeah. No, I appreciate it. I even love the addition of the green chili burger. Um <laughs> I want to thank you for your time. Like the passion that you bring to your role, the passion you bring to talking about the CDT is evident and for all the listeners, for all those who've hiked um, in in any of those states in and around the CD2, just major thanks and major props. And and again, thank you for joining the podcast. You're so welcome. And I you know encourage everyone to get out there, whether it's on the CDT or not. Um, but yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. And give them that website one more time. Sure thing. It's um, if people, we have a free downloadable map set and planning guide as well. Um, but it's uh, www.continentaldividetrail.org. And um, yeah, just get out there and, and um, explore the CDT. Awesome. Thank you, Teresa, for your time. You're welcome.